Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you need an inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day, every little thing's gonna be a-okay. Hey everyone, new episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Little known fact about my guest today, because singer and superstar Josh Groban got a record deal, my guest got his spot in the musical theater program at Carnegie Mellon, and the rest is musical theater history. Welcome Rory O'Malley to the podcast. Hey everyone, my guest today is Rory O'Malley. Rory has starred on Broadway as King George in Hamilton. He was nominated for a Tony Award for his star turn in The Book of Mormon, and he made his Broadway debut in the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. Off-Broadway productions include Second Stage's Nobody Loves You and Little Miss Sunshine. He has appeared in the film Dreamgirls. On television, he can be seen on Crazy Ex-Girlfriends, Partners, Nurse Jackie, The Good Wife, Law & Order SVU, and 1600 Pen. He hosts an incredible podcast called Living the Dream. He currently plays King George in Hamilton. He has an autobiographical show called Pub Crawl, and he's the co-founder of an incredible organization called Broadway Impact. They mobilize the theater community to take action on fighting for marriage equality. I am in awe of this man, and I am so thrilled to welcome him to the podcast. So hello, Rory O'Malley. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here. I'm such a huge fan of you and this podcast. And, uh, you know, I I love these conversations that you're having with your fellow artists. You know, it's why I started a podcast myself. And I'm uh, I've, I've learned so much from listening to you. So thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Oh, I really appreciate it. I feel like you and I and and many of us who are kind of having these conversations with people we love and sharing them yeah. are in some ways, I mean, it's kind of like an ongoing PSA in a way, which yeah. is how to live a life with sanity and artistic passion at the same time. And it's not easy, but I feel the same way listening to yours, although I have to say, having also listened to the one with your husband, which is not a conversation about how to be an artist, but how to live with an artist is actually should be required listening for anyone thinking of marrying an actor. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. My my husband, who is not an actor, although he's quite the performer, as you will know from the podcast. Yes. He may not be in the business, but he's quite the performer. But in some ways Um, he is the business. 
Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But you know, uh, he's very proud that that is my number one downloaded episode. Well, he should <laughs> be. Yeah, and my buddy Josh Gad, he's still beating Josh Gad's download number, so um, he rubs that in, in Josh's face. He should. You know, at first it was actually my my cousin. Who's who? You know, Sally O'Malley in in, in, <laughs> um, uh, in finance. Who said? Uh, who listens to the podcast? He's like, you need to have Gerald on. And I was like, why would I have Gerald on? He's not an actor. And I realized he has more of a perspective of what it's like to see somebody trying to live their dream than than anyone I know. So it, it really was a great conversation, and uh, I heard a lot from my husband that I hadn't heard you know, before, because we were having a conversation uh, for an hour sitting down. And I think that's what's so great about podcasting is that in this world of 140 characters and, you know, just sound bites, this is really a way to sit down with another human being and connect with them on so many different levels. Um, yeah, in a long form, sort of a long form yeah. medium. So there's so much I want to ask you about because you just keep showing up in not just my favorite shows, but the most successful shows on the planet, which is just, I guess, just lucky. Just sure, just just lucky, yeah, Rory. Can is. we go back a little bit to where your love for performing began? Sure. I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, I was lucky that they have a wonderful community and regional theater scene there in Cleveland. They have a lot of wonderful artists and uh, I actually, my first show was at Our Lady of Angels Catholic grade school. It was the Christmas pageant, and I got the lead of St. Joseph. Wow. The, uh, now, how did you get that the, part? Yeah. <laughs> well, my Aunt Peggy Ann was the director, the second grade teacher. Wait so a minute. Lesson. Wait a minute. Always who you know in this business. <laughs> Unfortunately, second grade is as far as my nepotism would take me. That's just the, mo the most oh. connections I had. Okay. It got you through second grade. Yeah. But my mom was a single mom and worked at an accounting firm for 41 years. Same, same job. Very practical person who did a wonderful job providing for me and raising me. And I sat her down when I was eight years old after I did that performance in as St. Joseph in the Christmas pageant. And I said, don't laugh at me, mom, but I know what I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to be an actor. And of course she was like, oh God. That was know? her dream. But that was her dream for you. Yeah. I mean, she, I, you know, she, she's always just wanted me to be happy. She's, mm -hmm. she definitely always pushed me to excel in school. Um, but she also could see that I was very serious at eight years old. Well, let me let me ask you a quick question. I know nepotism may or may not have played a part, but I bet you were the best person for the role. Did you have to audition? No. It was an offer only situation. It was an offer. I've been offer only for, well, that was the only one. Um, but, <laughs> one time. But yeah, one time. And this is the thing is that because they want as many kids to participate as they could, they don't have the kids on stage speak any of the lines. Instead, they have kids off stage reading into microphones, saying the lines like a narrator. And then there's a Joseph. So you have more kids participating, right? Well, this really pissed me off because I didn't get to say my lines to St. Joseph. So I remember very clearly that my the voice of St. Joseph, of who was going to say my lines, was played by Gary Bostwick, who was also in second grade. He had all the lines. So what I did is I memorized 
all the lines and I mouthed them while he was saying them to show that these were coming out of my character's mouth. None of the other kids did this. This was just my extra flair sure. I was putting on. And I and I have the video. You know, we can watch it sometime oh together. Oh, my God. Really Are you kidding? It's amazing. My first performance, and I have choreography through every song. You know, my hands are folded perfectly in prayer. And I look up to heaven when we sing about heaven. I look down to baby Jesus. And that was completely me. You know, my aunt was a great director, but she had no vision for my character. So I took it to another level. All right. Well, I appreciate that. I understand why you mouth those words. And that was a very smart way to still focus as well. Exactly. I knew how to take focus. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, it was definitely my mom could see that I was serious about it. And she enrolled me in uh, Beck Center for the Cultural Arts, which is the local children's theater on the west side of Cleveland. And I stayed there for 10 years until I was a senior in high school and just soaked up as as much of theater as I could just being in every play uh, in Cleveland and then ended up going to Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh and to their drama school. Where Josh Gad, as, is this apocryphal or true that he was your roommate? He was. Yeah. We actually met each other on the first day uh, at orientation, and we had different roommates in the first few months, but his roommate left, and I moved in to his to his dorm room. Because we hit it off, we, we became friends right away, and then a after our freshman year, we moved into a house off campus with uh, four or five other guys and uh, lived there for the rest of our, our college years. So you finish high school. Are you kind of um, eating up every cast recording that you can get your hands on? Oh, yeah. Is this Is that sort of your musical theater education? Do lots of shows come through Cleveland when you're growing up that you see touring companies? Absolutely. You know, it was right around the time of, I graduated high school in 99. So it was right around the time of rent and rent coming into town was such a big deal yeah. for us. And, uh, you know, when I saw uh, the first show I saw ever Broadway show was Les Mis when it came on tour. And my mom got uh, two tickets for free from her boss who decided not to go gave them to us. My mom picked me up from daycare, said, we're going to this show, Less Miserables. <laughs> I don't know anything about it, but I hear it's supposed to be good. So she was not a theater person. She was. She probably just wasn't. Uh, she wasn't French. Uh, she wasn't French. Uh, yeah. She wasn't a Victor Hugo, you know, like. Uh, Aficionado. What that was. Yeah. Right. My mom lived in New York for a short period of time. She lived in New York in the early 60s. Her and her friend Madeline moved after high school. They were like, let's just go to New York and uh, work in a bank. And they got jobs in Forest Hills, Queens at a bank that I've gone back to with them, which was such a great experience. And they would save up money and then go into the city and see Broadway shows. And my mom's claim to fame is that she saw Barbara Streisand in the original Funny Girl. That is claim to fame material. Yeah. Yeah, I always say it's de it's probably what gave me my love for theater, but it definitely is what made me gay. I mean, now that, that her talking yeah. about just it her the sitting time. in that theater, just yeah. by yeah, yeah. <laughs> that proximity to yes. your icon, and you didn't even know it. That's kind of amazing. But what happened was is that she was only there for about six to eight months, and it was very difficult for her because she's you know didn't know anything about New York and and loved Broadway and and. 
and the excitement of it. But her father passed away and she was the middle child of seven kids, the youngest who was still in high school when that happened. So she moved back home to Cleveland immediately, like in the middle of the night, broke her lease and her and her friend came back to Cleveland. And uh, so she always had these tales of Broadway and and of, you know, New York. But um, did she come home because she she was so devastated that her dad had passed away or because she needed to help support the family? What was that journey home for? I think it was both. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, for her, when you are a part of the Irish community on the West Side. As Alana Levine is. Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. exactly. <laughs> I mean, you're preaching to but, the choir, my friend, but go yeah, on yeah, for those know. who don't you know. know. <laughs> but but it's a, it's a very tight-knit community. And um, I'll, every time I meet people from Cleveland, uh, outside of Cleveland, like in New York or in LA, they always are from the east side. They're always from another part of Cleveland. I'm from the west side of Cleveland. It is, I don't want to say it's a bubble, it's very family oriented. And, you know, I have at least three guys that I graduated from St. Ignatius High School with who are teachers there now. It's a really tight knit community. Yeah. Yeah. And and so for her to be away from there at all when she was 19 and, you know, hadn't gone to college even and was trying to try New York, that was really difficult. But I think once her father passed away unexpectedly from a heart attack, it was, uh, almost impossible for her to be away from her family at that time. And maybe there was a plan to come back, but, you know, she ended up getting a great job in Cleveland and I came along and she is by far and away nothing like a stage mom. She has had absolutely no wanting to push me into being on stage. However, she has a love for theater. And so... I, it kind of was the best of both worlds for me because she understood what it was, loved theater and loved music, um, but she was very practical and forced me to keep up my grades or I was going to have to not be in the next play. So can I ask you a question? Is O'Malley your mom's last name? It is. So she had you on her own? She did. My mom really did raise me on her own, mm-hmm. and it's pretty incredible. This entire story is just is my my show that you talked about at the beginning. The pub crawl. crawl. Yeah. Because yeah. she worked in an Irish bar. That's where she's an accountant? No, she was an accountant and then also worked at a pub um, a couple nights a week. Oh. So my aunt Joyce would come to watch me on Saturday nights and uh, my mom would go to the pub and work and I would watch um, 227, Empty Nest, Golden Girls, Amen. Your programs. And, yeah. I'd watch, you know, I'd watch all the good stuff with my aunt Joyce while mom was at work and try to stay up for Saturday Night Live. But yeah, my mom my mom worked like crazy. And even as a single mom, she was able to be a part of every single choir uh, at Beck Center. She was the treasurer on everything because she was an accountant and good with numbers. And I'm always like, as I get older and older and realize how hard it is just to take care of yourself as an adult, right. I don't know how she was able to take care of me do her job, and then be so involved in everything I did. It's pretty remarkable. Well, she's my hero. I mean, what an incredible woman. Mine too. Yeah. And I can only imagine how unbelievable it has been for her and the joy to kind of watch this um, ascent for you and your career. It's extraordinary. So somehow, I mean, she didn't go to college. I don't know if any of her siblings went to college. Did they? 
Yes, yeah, she she didn't go to to college. Some of her her siblings did, but she be, you know was able to uh, become an accountant by going to night school or you know I don't know how she did it, but she you know took the appropriate classes, became a bookkeeper, and basically went down that uh, route and started working for an accounting firm and stayed there for forty one years. That's incredible. Is she retired now? She is. She retired. The month that I put in my notice at Book of Mormon, and she says this isn't true, but I really believe that Book of Mormon was when she felt confident enough that she could leave her job because she wasn't scared that I was going to go hungry. So when you were nominated for a Tony, yes, she got it. She did. But still, you know, like when I was nominated for a Tony, I, of course, called her up. That morning after it happened, I didn't tell her that, that, you know, oh, this could possibly happen. So she wasn't really aware of the schedule of the Tony nominations. Right. I called her that morning and I said, Mom, I was just nominated for a Tony. And she said, are you sure? And I said, yes. Anika Noni Rose said my name on, on television. Matthew Broderick she, was there reading? Yes. Oh, right. Yes. Exactly. I was like, it's, I think it's pretty legit. She said, well, we should double check before we start telling everyone. You know what? She's right. She's right. Yeah. Because based on what happened with La La Land at the Oscars, every once right. in a while there is, and your mom was ahead of the curve on that one. She was. She's a practical woman. And uh, I, I think that it was just so beyond our wildest dreams. Well, let's talk about that because your wildest dreams are happening. My wildest dreams are happening for you. <laughs> By the way, because you somehow find yourself, you got yourself to Carnegie Mellon, which is such an incredible theater program. I asked you before about singing in terms of that pageant that you did and the right. first show you did when you were eight. Oh, right, yeah. You have an incredible voice, and I'm wondering when you discovered the power of your voice. Was it Carnegie Mellon? Was it before? Well, thank you so much. It's very you are and, welcome. You know, sweet of you. I, I I always think of myself as an actor who can sing. Is that right? Yeah. When you hear, uh, when you go to college, I could I should say uh, at Carnegie Mellon with. Megan Hilty mm. or, you know, these or Leslie Odom Jr. Right. That's when you're in, when you're in classes yeah. and you're singing with each other, you hear a singer like that and you think, my God, mm -hmm. I am basically just faking it. Until I'm an actor get... who sings. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's it's wait, it, but you were with at school with those people. I was. Yeah. Leslie and uh, Leslie and Josh and I were in the same class. Megan was supposed to be in our class, but she got a job and deferred for a year and, and uh, was a year below us. Um, but yeah, it was it was a crazy group of people. But let me tell you, my voice was actually what first I realized that I might do well in the industry. I I joined a choir in Cleveland, the the Riverside Children's Choir. It was conducted by Sevilla Morse, who taught me everything I know know as a kid uh, about singing. And I remember her her hook to get us into the choir was the the choir is on Thursday nights at seven o'clock, and it's only for forty five minutes. You will be home in time to watch the Cosby Show. And I remember thinking, okay, I can do this. Right. And I mean, that's which is so crazy because that's how 
long ago it was, you had to be home to watch a television show. We didn't even have a VCR, I don't think, at that time. And, you know, the fact that that was, you know, her pitch to get kids to come sing in her choir after school. But it changed my life and it really got me singing as an artist. I was a soprano. I was a boy soprano and and sang all the time. And uh, then when I wanted to get in the plays at that children's theater that I talked about, I could never get in any of the plays. And then when they would start to do musicals, I would sing. And all of a sudden I was in the show because I was a boy who could sing. So I realized that singing was my my hook, my way in. And when I got to high school, I still didn't consider myself the best singer. There was plenty of other people who had better voices than I did in high school. But when I got, so when I got to the time when I was gonna audition for schools like Carnegie Mellon, I auditioned for um, Juilliard and Boston University and a bunch of other schools. I didn't audition for any musical theater schools whatsoever. So you just did monologues. You didn't sing for these auditions. Exactly. I didn't I didn't sing because I thought, well, I can't dance. And I know that musical theater, you know, schools would want me to be a dancer and I'm not going to do that. I'm more of an actor and I'll just take voice lessons on the side. Then when I got into Carnegie Mellon, I was in the class with Josh Groban and I (laughs) was. was, Yeah, I know. Get it. I know. It's crazy. (laughs) He's a terrible singer. He's horrible, right? Sorry, Josh. So he actually was down the hall for me in in our dorm. I was with Josh Gad. He was down the hall. And he had this tape where he was like, yeah, I was on the Rosie O'Donnell show this year. And we were like, what? And, you know, Rosie had him on the show because she discovered him at the, the Grammys rehearsal because he stood in for Andrea Bocelli to sing Celine Dion. And then she, he was like 17 years old singing like Andrea Bocelli. She had him on the show. He started calling him Opera Boy. He comes to Carnegie Mellon after that happens. And all of a sudden he has a record deal. So a few months into our being freshmen at Carnegie Mellon, he's gone. He leaves. Because he's Josh Groban. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, we all knew he had this amazing voice. I knew he was studying with a voice teacher there that was a part of his curriculum. So I went to her and I said, this is early on before he got a record deal. I said, I would love to study with you on the side. Can I pay you to just take private voice lessons so I can keep up my singing? And she did. And then two months later, when Josh Groban left, she said, you know what? You've done exactly what he was doing. Why don't you fill his spot and become a musical theater major? And the only um, hitch was I had to go audit the dance classes and they had to give approval as well, you know, which was not pretty. I was (laughs) I was the worst dancer. um, But I knew this was some kind of weird thing that the universe was opening up the musical theater department of Carnegie Mellon, which is so great. And I didn't have to give up any of the acting classes. So Josh Groban, becoming Josh Groban, is the reason that I am in two hit musicals, especially Book of Mormon, because I will never forget the day that Matt, Trey, and Bobby came to me and said, we are so happy you've been doing uh, Turn It Off, this this musical number and all the, the readings, and, and uh, we're really excited for it. When we get to the workshop phase, we're going to turn it into a tap number. Are you ready? Do you tap? And I said, oh, my gosh, of course I tap. I got a D in tap at Carnegie Mellon. I was a terrible tapper. I 
Im- immediately went to the Broadway Dance Center and enrolled in tap classes and was just trying to get to a basic level of tap um, that would be acceptable to come to the next workshop of Book of Mormon, which, you know, I always say my greatest acting in Book of Mormon was acting like I could dance. Okay, back up because... Rory, that is one of the most phenomenal song and dance numbers in a Broadway musical. I mean, so much happens during that number, just the costume. I mean, there's a lot of like magic that happens for the audience when they watch that. I need to back up because the fact that you're saying that you didn't really dance and you learned to tap. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. You, when you got out of Carnegie Mellon, before Book of Mormon, you were in... 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee, correct? Yes, yes. And that you did you get into that as an understudy first? Is that how you kind of snuck in there, or were you part of the ensemble from the beginning? No, I actually uh, was living in Los Angeles. I moved to Los Angeles after college because when I did, we did our showcases in both cities. New York wanted nothing to do with me. No one wanted to. I remember there was one casting director who wanted to meet with me and I called her to set up the time and she said, oh, I must have checked the wrong box. I don't need to meet with you. No, she did not. And I was like, can you please meet with me because you're the only one. I mean, since I've got you, can I do a monologue on the phone? Anything? Devastated. So we did the... uh, the showcase in New York, and then we graduated, and then we did the showcase in LA. I'm pretty sure that that's how it worked. It was a little while ago. Yeah. Um, but I remember very specifically one of the, at graduation, one of the professors coming up to my mom, a professor we both really respected, and she knew she knew who he was, and he said, I'm so sorry to hear about Rory's <laughs> response in New York, but he'll be okay. Now, I had hidden all of the disappointment from my right. mother. She like didn't you know do. anything about it. Sure. You know, I was, I was like, hey, you know, it's going to be great. And she said, oh, no, what happened? Did they not like you? And, you know, I had booked all this time in New York after our showcase to agents and, and casting people. And I was thought I was needed all this time for meetings to and be available. connections and auditions. Yeah. I spent the entire time at the Pig and Whistle on 47th Street talking to an Irish bartender waiting for my phone to ring. Because you can go home again. Yes, exactly. That's where I felt <laughs> comfortable, you know, go back These to are that, my people. Your, your Irish pub. Yes. Yeah. So because things weren't quite what you wanted in New York, you go to L.A., which you are not from. So when you go to L.A., do you like where do you go? Do you have friends have- living there? I had a cousin who is an actor. I slept on his couch in Burbank and I had one manager um, who wanted to work with me and uh, she basically wanted to work with anyone from our class, which, you know, she wasn't too picky, but she said she would fit the criteria. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I, I'm very appreciative for her because she did make a lot of phone calls and she was literally the only human being who said they would work with me after I graduated from college. And yeah, it's it you you are definitely sold on your connections that you'll have after you graduate. Right. And, you know, that did not work out for me. Um my what's great was great is that I was able to keep in touch with everyone that I went to school with and that I had that on my resume and people trust that I had some kind of training. Right. But as far as like having representation, not at all. So I started working for uh, theaters out here in Los Angeles. And that's how I got my equity card out here in LA is I just was doing theater for basically for free. There's a lot of 99 seat 
houses that you get $7 a show. And I was working at restaurants and doing shows at night, got my equity card out here. And what happened was, is that I was working for Gary Marshall at the Falcon Theater for years. And that became basically my my community theater, my home away from home here in Los Angeles. I worked for the Troubadour Theater Company who did a lot of plays there, learned how to be funny on a stage from them basically because they're they're a comedy troupe. And I worked at the Irish pub across the street, <laughs> Timmy mm-hmm. Nolan's, and they brought me to New York to do a, a showcase of Happy Days the Musical, a new musical they were working on and they cast me as Richie Cunningham. So, wow. you know, Gary, Gary Marshall brought, cast you in the yes. stage version of Happy Days. That's right, as as Richie Cunningham. People love him. You know, Jerry Mitchell oh. was just on the show, and we were talking oh, a yes. lot about Pretty Woman, and, and until Gary passed away, he was really a big part of that project. He was. Did, was he just beloved and like a, a paternal sort of person? 100%. He, his, his, um, his motto was, life is more important than show business. And you can see that in all the movies that he did, especially at the end of his life, you know, Valentine's Day and all of these movies with a million stars, these stars weren't coming because they were making some, you know, career choice. They were signing on to be in a Gary Marshall movie because they wanted to be around that man. So he was constantly surrounded by people who he loved and respected and it was always like you were just in this wonderful bubble of a family. And that was what kept me in the business in his theater, that he would always put me in things at that theater and call me if if they had an opening for something or, you know, needed an extra and in Georgia Rule or whatever movie he was making at that moment. And he but he was working on this musical of Happy Days. And he cast me as Richie Cunningham. We worked on it there at the theater and then he took it to New York to do as, as a showcase. And I ended up seeing a preview of uh, 25th Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. And I immediately left and called up Josh Gad. And I said, Josh, there's this new show that's going to open on Broadway. It's brilliant. There's a, a guy in it named Dan Fogler. He's going to win a Tony because he's so good. And the only person on earth that can replace him in this show is you. Mm. You have to see the show. And within a year... Dan Fogler had won the Tony, left the show, and Josh Gad was cast in it on Broadway. And I still haven't seen a dime of commission. Yeah. Um, well, but... Josh Gad, are you listening? Yeah. Right. We've taken oh, care of that, Rory. I, I've told him many times. Um, still nothing. Right. Interesting. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. But um, within a few months after that, because I knew the show and had loved it so much, I realized that I loved doing being in L.A. and doing theater, but that if I wanted to be in a Broadway show, especially at the ground level, that I needed to be in New York. So I moved to New York, and within a month of getting there and getting a temp job at a financial firm in their human resources department. Like you do. Like you do, especially when your mom is an accountant at the same accounting firm for 41 years. Totally. Um, she still asks me if I have contacts at that financial firm because she just <laughs> thinks that was the best job. Yes, but, mom, I do. It's in my Rolodex. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I've, I've, I still know the the people who still who who are still there. And um, I was sitting at my desk and got the call that they needed to have a new understudy in Spelling Bee. And I knew all the material. I showed up to that audition and was ready to go. And 
got my first Broadway show within wow. six weeks of moving to New York. Wow. With Josh. Incredible. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. Every Broadway show I've ever been in was three of them. Spelling Bee, Book of Mormon, and Hamilton has always been with one of my classmates from Carnegie Mellon, the first two with Josh and the third with Leslie Odom. That is unbelievable. That's unbelievable. Yeah. So it sounds like you were a part of the original readings of Mormon after Putnam. Yeah. So and I went back to my financial firm after Putnam. Like and and yes. Like a like smart accountant's daughter. Yes. Son. Sorry. Exactly. Exactly. And both. You know, I'm I'm the daughter and son. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> okay. but, um, That'll be the little known fact. He's both. Both. I'm both. Yes. I'm versatile. But I yeah, I went back and I remember they called me uh, while I was sitting at my desk and said that the South Park guys and Bobby Lopez are writing a new musical. And they wanted to know if I would come do the reading of it. And of course, I like ran to the first rehearsal. I was so excited and surprised, though, to see Josh Gad there. We didn't know that the, the other one was going to be there and worked on that for three years of readings and workshops of through opening night on, in 2011 and then stayed and did the show for two years and had the greatest experience creatively that I will ever have in my life to get to work on something that brilliant for such a long period of time with just total geniuses. What a remarkable company. Just a remarkable, yeah. talented group of of young kids. Yeah, it was great. And, it, and, and everyone was young, but everyone was old enough to know how lucky we were. Wow. No one was uh, uh, confused about how special it was. So everyone took every moment of that experience and held it very tightly. And there was a lot of gratitude, which I think is, you know, looking back, that was the thing we had going for us most is yeah. that we were just a lot of really grateful people. Yeah, it's incredible. And I can only imagine, truly, I can only imagine what it is to wake up and hear your name when they are announcing Tony nominations. Did you expect that? Uh, no, I didn't expect it because my part really grew over those three years mm -hmm. going from being an, a part of the ensemble. I would just get line by line by line. And all of a sudden when we opened, you know, I was like, oh, I'm I've got a really great role here. It's a principal and, you know, supporting character and has a real arc here. So it wasn't like, oh, you know, this it was it was still being created. You know, we opened in March and I was nominated in May. Right. So it really was only like six weeks of knowing exactly what the part was that, that we had stopped writing stuff. But at some point you must have gone like, wow, this number is landing in an incredible way. There's something yeah. very special about it and, and it's sort of a centerpiece of the show. Yeah. Were you aware of it as it was being built and happening? I was aware of it before I got to the second page the first time I heard it. Mm. I was aware that it was the funniest song that I would ever be given, that it was an opportunity of a lifetime, and that it was going to affect my life. I don't want to say change my life because, you know, nothing like, you know, the, the, the way that people think things change your life, it's not how that, that makes it sound dramatic, but mm -hmm. it, I knew it was going to change things. And, um, but that period of time was like two years, you know? So it really, it, it was the, the creative process lasted a long time. They, 
They put a lot of work into it. So by the time you get to being nominated for a Tony, it's it it felt like a dream state. Even being at the Tonys, I felt like, I wonder if this is the real Tonys. Like, could they really have let me in? What if it wasn't the real Tonys? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Guys, you guys are crazy. This is yeah. amazing. It seems yeah. so real. Wow. That's what a what a sweet way to think about it. Well, but you're tapping. I mean, now I have to go back to YouTube and really look at your tapping because when I saw <laughs> the show, I believed in you completely. I, I think I've deleted all of those videos. <laughs> if there's any tapping, on, you know, I'm, I'll find it and get rid of it. No, I mean, I, I'm telling you, I was so nervous about it. I would do the entire tap number in the stage manager's office before every single performance by myself to make sure that I knew what it was. So I've, I, my, I did 800 performances of Book of Mormon on Broadway. I've done the tap number at least 1600 times, probably closer to 2000. <laughs> Well, it paid off, my friend. It <laughs> it, well, off. I lost the Tony, as my husband reminds me. I'm not a Tony nominee in my house. I'm a Tony loser. That's quite a badge of honor. It is. I, I love it. And it's, you know, my mom was at the Tony's with, with some friends in the balcony, but my husband was sitting next to me. And when I lost and we were dating at the time, he leaned over to me and he said, I'm sorry, but I don't date losers. <laughs> oh my and, God. That's and, why you married him. Why I married him. Right? And like, I think it would really take an actor to know when I tell non actors that story, they're like, oh, that's they're horrified. Terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Horrified. Oh. But, you know, my mom, if she was sitting next to me at that moment, she'd be like, are you okay? Is this all right? And there I am sitting at the Tonys, you know, like just thinking, I can't believe they let me in Amazing. as a seat filler, let alone as an actor. Yeah. Honor. Well, I just loved you so much in it. You know, Andrew Reynolds was on the show, and I was telling him that a couple of summers ago, we went on a family vacation to Paris, which was the most incredible thing we may ever do. And it was the summer where that was our soundtrack. Like, that was our cast recording. Every We were literally, like, we looked like the Von Trapp family, like, yeah. you know, city biking around the Louvre and everywhere, singing. The X-rated Von Trapp family. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Exactly that. Like we at the beginning, we were like carefully cherry picking which songs they could listen to our our children. And then by the end, we were like, OK, listen, there are a couple of things I'm just going to talk about. Um, rape and genital mutilation and just a couple of things and, and AIDS. I'm going to tell you what they are because I really want to listen to the entire <laughs> cast recording. I'm right. sorry, you guys. Um, and right. don't worry about it. And then we just started to sing it and we haven't stopped. And two things happen. We cannot ring our doorbell still to this day. <laughs> and I wonder when that stopped for you. Can you hear a doorbell and not say hello? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's funny. It, it's it, I think being in a show where you do it that many times, your body doesn't let you hang on to it. Mm -hmm. um, like I don't pick up, you know, pick up on things from Hamilton or, or the Book way of the Mormon rest as of much us as do. people right. who just, yeah. However, I literally, literally can never say turn it off ever without it being an issue with someone like in to my husband. If I'm like, oh, can you just turn it off? You know, like in, he's like, in, like a light as, switch. As yeah. Oh, yeah. It launches <laughs> in this whole thing. So 
Yeah, that's that's the only thing that I really can never get away from. I have that with the word happiness from yes. Charlie Brown. And sadly, I'm not hearing that word as much as I used to. But I do have to say that I would feel my mind going into a lyric. It could be, you know, pizza with sausage telling the time. Yeah, it could be uh, anything yeah. like that. But Wait, I have to stop you. Yes. Because that is a perfect segue from what I told you I've been waiting to tell you. I saw your performance as Lucy in Charlie Brown when I was in high school and I came to New York and I saw it because my friend was at NYU and he said, you have to see the show. The cast is absolutely brilliant. It is the best show on Broadway. And I went and loved every single second of it, especially your performance. I adored that production. And it was just very, very important to me going into college and thinking about funny characters and the actors that were on that stage that I looked up to so much. You were all so wonderful. So it's just means so much to me to get to talk to you right now about oh. these, these these moments in time because yeah. I really think of that production as yeah. a centerpiece of that. Oh, that is so sweet. I mean, I had the same experience as you, except I was in it, but I had been obsessed with Rent. I loved it so oh, much. Yeah. So the idea that Anthony Rapp from Rent, like that Mark Cohen and yeah. I were in the same show was so yeah. heady. And then, of course, every night, you know, I'm sure I can only imagine what you experience sharing a dressing room with Lin-Manuel in terms of who right. comes in every night to say hello. Yeah. <laughs> like, hello, Obama. Like, it's endless, I'm yeah. sure. But I, you know, for me, it was every night or often the cast of Rent would show up like, hi, Daphne. Right. Hi, Jesse. <laughs> Like, it was so crazy. And I couldn't quite, you know, the way you talk about being at the Tonys and wondering, was this the real Tonys or is there like another Tonys in another room? I felt like that. Like, Anthony would warm up often. The Mark Cohen songs just were placed exactly in the right way for Charlie Brown warm ups. And I'd just be like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What's happening right now? Not to wow. mention watching Kristen, of course, become Kristen Chenoweth right. in front of our eyes. Mm. But it was really, that makes me really happy that you saw it and that we were in the same room together without we my were. knowing it years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, it's hard to even know where to begin in terms of, you know, Hamilton is sort of the rent for for now in terms of right. there being this show that kind of is unlike anything else and encouraging a new generation of theater goers to love theater so much and you're at the center of it. And I just wonder, first of all, did you have to audition for the New York production when you came in as King George? Oh, this is quite the story. Okay. We've come to the right place. I didn't have to audition technically. What happened was... They just wanted you to dance. Just, can you dance? Yeah, yeah. They, I was like, wait, what? There's tap dancing now? <laughs> I was like, oh, great. Yeah. Um, no, what happened was is that I was living in Los Angeles with my husband. We're living out here. I convinced him to move to L.A. because I, I had a short-lived TV show that was out here, and I he'd never lived out here. I said, let's move to L.A. We're going to have more space, and you'll love it. And, you know, I wanted to reconnect with the people that I had worked with in my early career. Yeah. And we moved here and a few months in, I got an email. I was sitting with Josh Gad at a, at a Starbucks, get an email for an offer to go do a Broadway show called Nerds that was about Bill Gates and Steve Jobs. And I was offered the role of Bill Gates. Oh my God. I read the script. It was so much fun. It was this really over the top broad comedy about tech. Who was directing it at the time? 
Casey Hushin, who is the uh, associate to Casey Nicola. She worked with Tommy Kale on In the Heights. Okay. She's phenomenal, a wonderful human being, so gifted. She was directing it. I knew that she was wonderful, and she wanted me to do it. And, uh, you know, we just moved to L.A., but I thought, all right, well, Gerald has – he's a real person, has a nice job. And we talked about it, and I said, you know – it's a it's a lead in a Broadway show, and you know if a Broadway show lasts, you know six months, it's a, it's miracle. a miracle. Yeah. So why don't we just see if we can do this for six months, and we'll see how it goes. So I go to New York, learn the entire show with this wonderful cast. Three weeks into rehearsal, we are, are about to move into the theater. I have witnessed the. I picked out a dressing room. There's the set being loaded into the theater. We're almost ready to have our first tech rehearsal. The producer walks into the rehearsal room and says, everyone go home. An investor dropped out. We will not be opening on Broadway this season. Oh, my God. Yeah. That never ha- I mean, what? Never. And no People angel like, flew in and sort of was like, but wait, no one. No. They meant it. They meant it. Horrible. And I don't know how else to describe it, but it felt very similar to as if someone had walked into a room and told a group of people that someone they all knew had passed away. Oh. That was very much the feeling because you have writers and Casey, our, our wonderful director, was going to be making her Broadway debut and and a bunch of actors making their Broadway debut. You know what the problem was, Rory? I don't. There was no one from your class at Carnegie Mellon in that show, was there? Now that you mention it, I should have called up Gad. <laughs> Said you're gonna need to at least. I'm just saying. I'm not a scientist, but if you do the research, there was a through line, and this was a diversion from how it was meant to be. Which I'm not saying it's a it's okay, but I'm just saying the writing was on the wall long before you started rehearsal. I'm sorry, my friend. When you're right, you're right, and this is definitely. And you'll see, like, what happened was is that that was in March of 2016, and Casey, our our wonderful director, said, you know what. This is horrible, but let's all come together tomorrow morning, run through the show once that we've learned just for ourselves. I'll invite the design team in, our casting director, and we can just kind of like say goodbye to it and mourn it. That is devastating. You know, a lot of people were like, well, should we do this? This is just too hard. But it, it was so important. It was really beautiful. It was really like having an Irish wake. Um, I think some people were doing some morning drinking Mm -hmm. um, before, before the show. But we, we we went through the show. We laughed and cried throughout the entire um, performance of it in that rehearsal room. And then we all went to a bar, said our goodbyes. I flew home to Los Angeles and said, all right, Gerald, Broadway's done with me. You know, I won't try that again. And two days later, my agent called and she said, do you have any interest in going back to Broadway? And I said, oh, you know, I'm just so heartbroken from that experience. I don't think I could ever do it. And she said, well, what if it's for the king in Hamilton? And I said, I'm at LAX. I'm on the red line. I'll be right there. <laughs> and she literally said, let me finish. <laughs> yeah. She said, wait, do you want to like talk to your husband before I nope. tell them that you no, I do are not. interested? I said, no, I'll text them when I get there. Wait, um, what? Because I, I knew the show. I had seen it at the public. I knew what the the character was. Because Leslie, my buddy from college, was was in the show. So I had seen it. I knew it. So did my husband. So I knew what this was. This was April of 2016. They hadn't even been nominated for any awards at that point. This was eight months into the run. And I find out 
that the casting director for Nerds, my show that fell apart, Bethany Knox from Telsey's office, is the casting director for Hamilton. And the same week that our show collapsed, Jonathan Groff put in his notice to go do Mindhunter on Netflix. And she saw the run through that day that Casey, our director, had us do. And she said, Rory could really pull off the comedy as the king. And I know he's free, so maybe we should offer this to him. And did you know Lynn? I knew Lynn uh, because he had come to one of the earliest Book of, Morning re- Book of Mormon readings. And um, he went to, I think it was high school with Bobby Lopez. And so I, you know, I met him several times, but I didn't, I didn't know him that well. I'd never worked with him. I certainly never worked with Tommy Kale or our music director, Alex Lackmore. So it was kind of just this offer out of the blue because they needed to figure it out. But they were like, we'll just have you come sing the songs with, with Alex and, and Tommy, you know, like the part's yours, but you know, you'll just meet them. So it was an offer, but I was still like going to have to perform for them before yeah. the world knew that I was doing it. So that was way worse than an audition because basically at that point I was like, okay, this is mine. I'm the only one who can screw it up at this point. <laughs> and where did that happen? First of all, did they just have you sing everything King George sings? Or did you just go in, you're like, I kind of know it. I've been listening to it nonstop. But like, what what was that actually like? It was basically just going to a rehearsal room mm-hmm. and having a rehearsal for an hour. You know, that's kind of what they said. You know, I was like, I, I've been, I, my Broadway show just fell apart. Yeah. I was quite aware that anything is possible. Yeah. And when you're, you know, there's no ceiling to the bad things that can happen to exactly. you Exactly, exactly. So it was Lynn and Alex, and was the casting director there too? Yes. Okay. Yes. And so when you walk in, what does Lynn say? Lynn wasn't there. Okay. Lynn was like, oh, awesome. Great. You know, I think he went on vacation that week and okay. he had, you know, seen me perform. And I, I just went in and it was, it was basically just getting to know Tommy and, and Alex. I sang through the material. But mostly we talked for like 20 minutes and got to know each other. I was going to be the first person to take over one of the original cast members for a long period of time for I was signing on for uh, nine months to the end of that year. So it was the first changing of the guard in um, in the cast. You know, Andrew Randalls, of course, did it for uh, a month or two, but it was just a short period of time. So this was, you know, going to be the first person to leave and they were still not nominated for a Tony. So they had to go through that entire experience. And I had to like, I got to be in the Tony Awards show. And, you know, it was, it was crazy. It was like being shot out of a cannon. And really it was, you know, just a a chance for them to get to know me a little bit. And they were like, yeah, this is going to be great. We can't wait for you to start. And so I ended up staying in New York, my husband staying in LA and ended up doing a year and a half because once we figured out that the show was going to be going to Los Angeles on tour, we said, all right, we'll push through and I'll get to do the show in L.A. And back in the city where I started as a theater actor. And so we've been at the Pantages now since August. And I've gotten to have all of my friends who I made out here originally come see me in plays from my theater company, the Troubadour Theater Company, and from Gary Marshall's Theater. And it's just been such a treat. But it was, it was a long haul, especially being away from my husband for that long. Is there any way that you can put into words what it is to be at the center of this phenomenon? Um, I guess, you know, it's funny you say in the center, it really does feel like you're in the eye of a hurricane, Mm -hmm. you know, in that I really took 
um, my cues and, and how to deal with it all from the original cast members who had been dealing with it for a year already. They didn't seem very phased by the pandemonium at the stage door because they were showing up and doing the show eight times a week and it was a real challenge. So they had to keep their head in the game. And even though I was on the outside and knew about the pandemonium and was coming in with these big eyes, like, oh my gosh, this is so exciting. I realized that if I kept bringing that with me to work every day, that I would be exhausted um, and that I had to kind of separate it. And really, it's just about going in and telling that story eight times a week and doing your job and not worrying about the craziness. So even, and you know, with Book of Mormon, I think that you don't realize what it is until you step away from it, until you can really have some distance from it. And um, I'm still realizing how powerful the show is. And that now that I'm doing it on tour and getting to see these eight-year-old kids, you better believe that I'm at that stage door every night signing yeah. for these kids because I know that's me. Yeah. That's me going to see less miserables with my mom's <laughs> boss's tickets and and being on tour and having Broadway come to your backyard. So I know that this show very clearly in the same way that, that Les Mis did is inspiring a whole new generation of theater goers and people who are going to take our craft to another level. So it's it's just it's a real privilege. What did Lynn say to you when you began? What did he ask <laughs> of you or for you? What was his wish for you and King George the Third? I remember what he did was he left me a voicemail, which I still have recorded somewhere. He left me a freestyle rap, uh, calling me Aurori Borealis. You pick up your chalice, which was the he wrote. A, a, a rap for Neil Patrick Harris. Was it Neil Patrick Harris? Oh God, now I'm really, this is, that, now you know it's a long time ago when you forget the host of the Tonys while you were nominated. Um, <laughs> oh my God. Was it Hugh Jackman? I don't know who hosted the Tonys. Somebody fantastic. I, somebody fantastic hosted the Tonys and he was writing for the Tonys for a couple years. I'm pretty sure it was Neil. And they always did the thing at the end where he would like do the rap for all the winners yeah. and they wrote one for me thinking I was going to win. So he said it to me when I got cast as the king, he left on my voicemail, the, the, uh, the edited out, uh, rap that Neil Patrick Harris was going to do for wow. me. Wow. That's so incredible. It, it was, it was, you know, I mean, Lynn is just such like a happy, um, like, casual fun guy that really like when I showed up the first day he just gave me a huge hug and was like we're gonna have so much fun and then we did and you're and like you said I was sharing a dressing room wall with him so I literally considered myself being the waiting room for Lynn's guests yes. which you know I remember very clearly Helen Hunt coming up and I've said oh hello I'm a, I'm a huge fan just it'll be one moment Lynn will be right with you he's just in there with Mr. Letterman um <laughs> <laughs> you know and then she would talk to me and I was like I cannot believe that I get to have these conversations with these amazing people as they wait in line Helen if you don't mind just taking off your shoes yes thank you so we much like keep it clean up here yeah uh, yeah no it was it was insane to literally go from you know being in a Starbucks uh, a few months before with Josh just being like oh yeah I'm just gonna hang out in LA and don't know what I'm gonna do to three months later being in Hamilton and 
and uh, being in charge of the queue to get into Lynn's dressing room. <laughs> when the queue light went on, you could send um, Jennifer Lopez into his yes. dressing room. I just want to know before we go, does the Hamilton cast, at least for the New York company and the original cast that you were still working with when you came in, did you guys all do anything each night before the show together, or does everyone do more of an individual prep or warm-up for the show? We don't do anything in terms of warm-up, but especially on Broadway, there's always a circle prayer uh, that that I think started with In the Heights and Christopher Jackson always took the lead of. And for me, I'm not a, a very religious person. I'm spiritual. And getting to connect with that cast especially around that time when I was new. Mm-hmm. And, you know, every time somebody made their Broadway debut or their be- debut with the cast, they would gather around them, put lay hands on them and just have a prayer. It was so important, especially playing the king, because it's the most isolating job I've ever had in my life. I'm by myself backstage while everyone's working hard on stage. I come on stage and everybody runs off for their break, you know. So... I, I've never really been so isolated as an actor, especially a stage actor. So having that connection with your cast at the beginning was so important. It's been a little bit easier here because it, doing the tour, because I started with this group, we're all on the same page, right. going through the experience at the same time. So I'll just invite myself into their dressing rooms and hang out and you know, we don't have any rituals per se. Are you the only one in the show who had been in the New York company? I'm not. We also had our, the alternate for Javi. After Lynn left and Javi became yeah. the full-time Hamilton, his alternate, Michael Owaye, right, uh, of course, was of doing course. it once a week. And now he's on going back to Broadway. Well, I just cannot believe you are the gift that keeps on giving, Rory O'Malley, <laughs> and you have remained just such a generous member of the theater community, both just by giving back, you know, with your organization and also by giving back to everyone who comes to see the show and just being so generous with them. And you are a light and a spirit that is guiding us all um, to kindness and generosity. And you may not think of yourself as a singer, but I certainly do. Um, You are more than an actor who sings. You're just a human being who creates magnificent work over and over again. And to be uh, around and to get to see it is just a really lucky thing for all of us. You are too kind. And I, I, as I said it in the beginning, I really love the podcast. I love what you're doing with it. I love listening to these conversations. And I'm, I'm really honored that you would have me be a guest. Well, I am so glad that I get to share you with, you know, my my people and uh, Royal Malley. Congratulations on everything, and um, until next time. Thank you. If you want more information about my guests, go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com. I also wanted to tell you that there is now a new addition to the website. It is a button that says contributions. This podcast is a true labor of love, and I really, really want to keep doing it for a long time. So if you like listening as much as I love to do it, please feel free to contribute. It would mean the world to me. Also, on Twitter, you can find me at Alana Levine. Instagram is Little Known Facts Podcast, 
and on Facebook, Little Known Facts Podcast. You can also feel free to rate and review the show on the iTunes show page. This podcast is recorded at Hangar Studios in New York City. This episode was brought to you by Pro Media, located in Times Square. Pro Media offers both production and post-production services out of its beautiful studios in the heart of New York City. Pro Media Sound Vision. Find out more at promedia.nyc.